Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real life rescues to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant. With me today, I got Ben Burkett. We're going to talk about a grab they made on November 3rd of 2022. So welcome, Ben. How you doing? I'm doing great, Grant. How you doing, man? Good. All right. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, name's Ben. I've been with the city of Portsmouth now for five this month. Um, I was in the Navy for four years, got out in 2017, uh, was hired on by the city of Portsmouth. Um, I've got a little bit of volunteer experience prior to being in the Navy, but um, generally speaking, I've got about five years in. Um, I've been assigned downtown uh, to our station one, which is our busiest firehouse. Um, I'm assigned to truck one, which is the um, truck company downtown. It's the uh, tractor drawn aerial. I'm the tillerman assigned to a shift. Um, yeah, that's about it, man. Uh, tell us about your fire department. Sure. Uh, generally speaking, the city of Portsmouth itself is uh, 47 square miles with a population of around 100,000. Um, so it's a geographically pretty small city, but it's pretty densely populated. Um, our fire department itself is made up of eight fire stations housing nine engines, three truck companies, a heavy rescue, two battalion chiefs, five ALS ambulances, and an EMS supervisor. So it's a, it's a pretty medium-sized fire department in a um, fairly small but densely populated city. What do you guys get on a regular alarm for a residential fire? So we get four engines, a truck, two ambulances, an EMS supervisor, and both battalion chiefs. Nice. Um, and then the only thing that separates that from all other uh, – building construction types is that we get an extra truck on multifamilies and uh, commercial structures. So who's doing the searches yeah. on your guys' fires? So in the five years that I've been working for the city, um, I have never seen a non-special service company do a search. It is almost a hundred percent of the time the truck company is getting the search. Um, it is by our SOP. The first two special service does the search. Um, however, oftentimes if our, rescue company gets on the scene in their first due before the first due truck, they're oftentimes assigned to pull a second line, um, depending on which battalion chief is, is on, is the first there. Um, but generally speaking, it's, it, it's the first due truck is, is taking the search. What's a, what's a rescue for you guys? Uh, it's a, just the typical like Northeast heavy rescue. Gotcha. And then what, what's your search culture like? Like, are you guys doing split searches oriented VES, all the above? Yeah. So it's, it's pretty situational for us. Um, I will speak to um, truck one, our, our company in particular, um, because I think that's kind of unique in the way that we do it to the rest of the city. Uh, so we are a tractor drawn aerial, um, but we are, all, our minimum staffing is three. And that is what we normally ride is three. Um, so our, our driver operator takes the outside vent, um tasks he kind of uh would, would take what normally our children would do for a four-man company he takes over that that um outside vent work and um for our kind of bread and butter one one or two-story residential fire he's going to be his primary task is to be making access to the back side of the house um giving a report to the incident commander and um throwing ground ladders opening up um bottom floor walkouts um and then he's he will also have the option to you know ves if 
if that's what he feels necessary. Um, and then our tillerman and our officer are going to make an entry for a search. And that's um, very, very dependent on fire condition and building construction. Um, we will, you know, more, more often than not, it's an oriented search um, with the, the officer kind of letting the, the uh, barman do his, do his search while he kind of keeps him oriented um, via um, camera or just verbally. Um, but yeah, so. Cool. Well, uh, take us to November 3rd, 2022 and talk us through this call. Sure. So, um, that day was, it's very, uh, very kind of cliche to say, uh, but that day kind of started as all other days do. We had, you know, just typical chores we ran, just kind of going on odds and end calls, went to the grocery store. Um, our, our truck was actually being used for a tractor drawn aerial, um, drive operator course in the afternoon, probably around three 30 or four o'clock. Our training department brought us our truck back. We got everybody, all their stuff back on the truck, um, because it was kind of an odd day. Um, they had sent the guys that are normally assigned to the truck off to other pieces for the day, just to kind of up staff while the truck was out of service. So once we got everybody back on the truck, um, we went and grabbed some food and brought it back. Um, it was probably about 5.30. We sat down, ate some food. One of the other engine companies was there with us. Um, probably around, it was right after we finished eating dinner. It was probably about 6.15. The run came in. Um, we got dispatched to a multifamily fire. Um, the initial call did not have a report of people trapped. Um, we jogged out to the truck, our driver operator. Um, I feel that it's important to give credit where credit's due. My, my driver operator is named Matt Saunders. He is a, uh, 11 year veteran. He's been assigned to that downtown firehouse his entire career. And he's been assigned to the truck for most of it. Um, he is without a doubt the best driver operator in our city and, um, he doesn't miss. He gets us to our calls every time. The first time um, he stopped it off, stopped off at the computer in the hallway, got got the address and kind of took a quick glance at the notes. I jogged out to the truck, threw my gear on, hopped up in the tiller cab. And as he climbed in the truck and threw his headset on, he just kind of casually mentioned, hey, it sounds like this is going to be a fire. It sounds like there's probably still somebody inside. So. Officer hops in, we pull out. It's also probably important that I mentioned kind of the, the location of this fire in the city kind of played a factor into how everything played out. Um, this, this fire, because it was multifamily, we were actually the second due special service to this call. Um, but it, the, the fire was located right in the middle, right in the center of the city. And it was kind of in all three special service companies, both truck companies and the rescue was all, it was a kind of a no man's land as to who's going to get there first. So as we, as we pulled out, you know, we're the uh, dispatcher hops on the radio, lets us know that there is confirmed entrapment and that they're getting multiple calls and PD is advising that there's, that, that it's going to be a working fire. So we knew we were going to work. Uh, we had fairly credible reports of people trapped um the 
the first due engine company and first due battalion chief arrived um, pretty much right as we crested the interstate. It was the, the interstate leading to this call. It kind of is an uphill. Um, right as we crested to the top of this hill, we had a pretty good column on the on the horizon. So we knew we had something um, right as we were getting off the interstate. Uh, we heard the first two battalion chief go on scene with a single story multifamily with fire and smoke showing from the Delta side, from the uh, Trolley Delta corner. So knew, knew we were going to work. Uh, he, our first two engine company is a no, no orders needed. It's you know your fire attack. Um, right as we got off the interstate and uh, got to the stoplight, um, the rescue company was approaching the same stoplight. So they, they beat us in by just a few seconds. Uh, we pulled down the block together. There is a, a garden style apartment across the street from the, from the fire building. The rescue company pulled into the parking lot, which gave us on the truck, the front of the building. We, as I got off the truck, sorry, my dog's yelling at me. <laughs> As we got off the truck, um, I hopped off, started throwing my air pack on. Um, a bystander, one of the neighbors, had kind of walked over and confirmed what we had heard on the radio, that there was um, somebody trapped. Um, as I threw my air pack on, grabbed my irons, um, started making my way around the side of the house. Engine 7, which is the first new engine company, was stretching their line. Um, our battalion chief started giving assignments. He kind of confirmed what everybody had already kind of figured was going to be their assignment. He assigned the the rescue company, which was in on this call, the first two special service. He assigned them search and he assigned us to back up their search. So the uh, rescue company was because they were parked a little farther away. I had kind of, I kind of had a jump on them. Um, I had, made my way around the Delta side of the house. As I made my way around engine seven was, was throwing their masks on. Um, there was fire venting from a kitchen window and some pretty good smoke, um, banked all the way down to the floor and the, with the, with the front door open. Uh, there was a, there was a second bystander that was standing, um, kind of right in the yard next to the front door to this apartment that was um, again, confirming that uh, there was an occupant trapped. Um, so it was, it was pretty evident to me that this was a really small apartment. Um, the way that the, the probably the best way I can describe the building construction for this, for this apartment was that, it was two double wide trailers that they had pushed together long ways and had cut each of those double wide trailers into two apartments. So it was a, a rectangular building that was split four ways into four apartments, if that makes sense. So this fire was, was taking place in the Charlie Delta corner apartment and the fire was very evidently in the kitchen. It was a pretty typical small kind of high off the ground, narrow window with with a pretty fair amount of fire venting from it um i threw my mask on threw my helmet on uh as i was throwing my gloves on the engine company was starting to push in the front door um 
I guess I should, I should probably back up and mention my, my lieutenant on, on the truck had us prior to us getting off the truck. He had told me to link up with the rescue company and that he was going to go to the, um, Bravo Charlie apartment, which was the closest, um, exposure apartment and make sure that it had been evacuated and that once he had done that he was going to link up with me in the fire apartment so he we kind of crossed paths in the front yard he confirmed what he had told me in the truck uh my our driver operator matt started uh heading around back um opening up uh so i had made entry uh the engine company had started to make a knock on the fire uh I would say visibility was probably about knee high. Um, I kind of dropped down to a knee, kind of doing a little crab walk, um, encountered a couch. As soon as you walked in, it it was a door that was kind of on the corner of the building. So I knew that there was nothing to the right. Um, I kind of did a quick sweep behind the door to make sure that there wasn't anybody behind the door. Kind of made my way in, could see the fire. Um, off to my left, as soon as I rounded the corner, it was a, a pretty well-involved kitchen. The engines making their knock on the fire. I once, w- once the engine did knock the fire down, visibility went to nothing. Um, just the way that the, the smoke and steam kind of banked to the floor. Um, and as I kind of dropped down, I noticed a fairly large, what felt like a pile of clothes on the floor. And it's funny, I, I remember having listened to this podcast before, I remember hearing somebody talk about how they had to tell themselves to search with their fingers. And so for some reason that, that like subconsciously played into my mind. And I remember telling myself to, to search with your fingers. Don't, don't just use your eyes, like search, search with your, with the, with the dexterity you have in your hands. And so I started kind of grabbing clothes and squeezing them with my hands to see, you know, just to make sure that it wasn't just clothes and that there wasn't somebody um, in those clothes. And lo and behold, I, in one of those squeezes, I, I squeezed what felt to me like an arm. And so I kind of pulled my flashlight over and shined it down. And sure enough, the, my, my light hit the guy right in the face. And um, so I turned back and the engine company lieutenant was probably two steps behind me on the line. And so I kind of turned around, turned, turned my head and said, Hey, I got a victim. Um, if you guys just like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't quite that casual, obviously, but I had kind of, I, I kind of turned, um, told him I had a victim. The victim was laying on his stomach, um, facing the, with his head facing the, the door that I came in. So I kind of quickly kind of rolled them over kind of sat him up, used my foot to kind of prop him up. He was a pretty small guy. He was probably between 150, 170 pounds. So it, he wasn't a real big guy. Um, sat him up. He was unconscious, got up under his arms, kind of wrapped up under his chest and just kind of stood up and just kind of started walking backwards. Um, right. As I got probably halfway to the door, the captain from the rescue company was making his way in Um to also search and we kind of kind of ran into each other and i said hey cam i've got i got a victim here um and he said gotcha and he kind of got his arm up under his legs uh we came down the front steps 
took him around to the front yard to the to the A side and kind of uh, got him down, started started working on him. The captain started compressions. And as I was starting to take off my take off my helmet and my mask to start working, I kind of turned my head and realized that there was a couple of people there from our EMS department that were getting ready to start working on him. Um, and so I kind of made the on the fly choice to go continue my search, um, because I knew that there was, there was at least one room that I hadn't searched. I hadn't searched the rest of the kitchen. And I knew there was a bedroom that, that still needed to be searched because I could see it when I, when I walked in. So I, uh, made my way back around the front. Um, at this point, my, our driver operator, Matt and the, um, Lieutenant, um, from, from the truck were both at the front door. They were, um, Matt was starting to mask up and Bill was getting ready to walk in the front door. So I kind of caught my breath for a second, clipped my regular back in and, uh, went, went back in and, um, finished my search. And, uh, that's, that's pretty much it as far as rescue goes. I, uh, we worked some overhaul for a little while, came back out and swapped bottles and that was about it. Nice. What was, uh, what do you think the time frame was from getting the sign search to victim out? Um, I, I would imagine that it was under from, from the time that I got off the truck to the time that the victim was out, I would say it was less than three minutes. Um, he was, because he was so small and because the apartment was so small, it, it like locating him and getting him out was probably the quickest, the, probably the, the, the fastest part of the, the whole evolution. Um, I would say, I would say less than three minutes from, from air break to, patient out the front door and what do you think the distance was between him and the front door i would say maybe 15 feet all right not real far that's cool Uh, um did you consider any other way out other than the way you came no um and that was only because the the only other way that i would have gone out would have required going past the fire um the only because the way that I came in um, was, without a doubt, the in my mind the the fastest and best way for him to get out. So that's just the way I went. That's good. I like when we start talking about victim removal, time, distance, and shielding. Steal that a little bit yep. from Hazmat, um, yeah. if, but get him out as fast as you can. That's good. Uh, any right. problems with grip? He was a smaller guy. It sounds like. Yeah. Like, any burns so, right like no, and it's funny you say that because I, I actually had meant to mention that. Um, I, when I found him, having listened to this podcast, I had prepared myself, you know, in thinking about victim removal and doing training that he was going to be slippery with, you know, skin skin starting to slough off and that kind of stuff. And he was on the fl- pretty much on the floor in the fire room, and he was not burnt, which shocked me. And his skin, surprisingly, I don't know if it was just the way I grabbed him. I don't know if it was the way my turnout gear was. I did not have any grip issues. I picked him up and I did not have to readjust my grip, not even one time. Um, I don't know if that, if, if his weight was a contributing factor to that, uh, but I just didn't have any problem. I fully expected to, but I didn't. That's good. And I think that brings up another good point. It's like, we don't need to make a, a diving catch out of a routine fly ball, like try to drag them. But anticipate that that may not work, but don't go to plan B before you try plan A. So that was awesome. 
Cool, man. Anything else that uh, you want to add from this grab or anything that you're going to approach differently because of this call? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that it's, it's definitely important to, to take stuff away from calls like this, you know, not, you know, it's like, it's like watching film for, for uh, football players. You know, there's, there's always stuff from, from every, every call you can learn. And probably this one for me would probably be um, being, be more cognizant of keeping the victim lower. Um, I was, I was really quick to, although we didn't have a ton of heat, um, there, the, smoke condition was was pretty bad it was it was it was banked to the floor pretty good and i would have probably had i had i do it again i, I would probably be more cognizant of keeping keeping the victim lower um when i got up under his arms and i picked him up i picked i picked him all the way up like i didn't i didn't even think about staying low i was so concentrated on getting him out the front door that i kind of just raised him up right into the thick of the smoke um, so that, that will probably be what I would do differently next time. Um, I think that the, uh, everybody did a, a wildly good job. The engine company was, was incredibly aggressive. It was a really seasoned Lieutenant and a rookie firefighter, but a real, real go getter, a real, a real stud that, that was on the engine. The uh, rescue company guys were very quick to get in and help me. The uh, captain didn't even think twice by, grabbing the legs it, um the, i didn't have to shoo anybody away like how oftentimes you hear about rescues where everybody's trying to get a hand on the on the victim um i didn't have to like push anybody out of the way everybody was kind of on the same page the the um guys on the engine kept kept doing their job you know they didn't they didn't drop the line and start trying to help get them out they the guy in the nozzle kept fighting fire kept kept the um, line open and kept us protected while we, while we got the guy out. Uh, but yeah, I thought everybody did a great job and uh, it went as smoothly as it could have. As, as far as I know, he is still alive. Um, he was awake and talking to the medics on the way to the hospital, which was really, really cool to hear. And the last that I had heard, he was still in the hospital, but was, but was recovering. So nice. Sounds like a good job. You know, kind of a cool one for me, having had you talk about actually listening to the grabs and picking up something, you know, sometimes we get yeah. get caught up doing this and, you know, every, every week or every couple of weeks, somebody gets a hold of me and we do one of these things. And I really have no idea if anybody actually listens or, or what happens yeah. once, once we record it, we set it up, right. and it goes someplace. So yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thanks for coming on um, to all the listeners sure. out there. If you make a grab, go to firefighterrescuesurvey.com, fill out that short survey. That information is for us, by us, and we're getting really good numbers out of there. Brian Brush did the report after the first 2000, and reports are we're getting like 10 grabs a day. So I'm, I should expect a lot more people to be getting a hold of me to share this story. Um, so spread that news because uh, I love to learn from other people and we can pick up nuggets all along the way. If you want to record your grabs podcast, get a hold of me, Grant Schwalbe. Um, you can get me on social media or just send me a text, 239-898-0843. Get a hold of Justin McWilliams or Nick Ladine. Uh, we're all willing to do these. And uh, until next time, thanks for listening.
Okay, yeah.